Jesus' teaching is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. He tackles tough issues head on. Here's what Jesus says about making vows and taking oaths. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows, you must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. These last few weeks of sermons have been very difficult for so many of us, and it's because the Sermon on the Mount really serves as a sort of mirror. It's a, it's a mirror with supernatural ability. And what I mean by that is that this mirror of the Word shows us who we really are. It shows us our weaknesses. It shows us our sin. And that is very, very difficult. And if, if you are one of those people today who still believes in your own righteousness, that you still believe that, hey, I'm a, I'm a good person, uh, don't put me in that category of the sinner. If you think that, that you're still a good person after reading through the Sermon on the Mount, well, I'm going to say that you probably don't understand what I'm saying to you, right? I want us to understand today that, that if you are disturbed by your own failing, if you're disturbed by what has happened in your life, you're disturbed by the sins that you've committed, the ways that you have failed in the past, that, my friend, is a good sign. Because it, it tells you, it tells me, that you understand your need of the Savior. It tells you that you understand your need of Christ. You sit here today and think, I don't need, I'm a good person. I don't need church. Uh, religion's a crutch. You've all heard that. Then that tells me you have no clue what's going on in your heart. But Jesus shows us. For a lot of people, when they read the Sermon on the Mount, now, this is very important. When they read the Sermon on the Mount, they think, well, these are all the rules. i got to live by these rules. It's true that the Sermon on the Mount tells us how to live. But equally as important, the Word of God shows us what we're really like, shows us how very weak we are. It shows us how desperately we need the Savior. I want to just drive that home. I don't want there to be any question or any doubt in anyone's mind. You need Jesus or you are lost forever. Amen? Okay, you can all go home. <laughs> we'll carry on here. We've got we to finish this. Now, only Christ is perfect. Everybody knows that? You are not perfect. You never will be perfect. That is, you'll never be perfect in your own strength or ability. But Christ is perfect. And my friends, listen, this is why we put our faith in Jesus. We do not put our faith 
in ourselves, in our own ability, in our own wisdom, in our own strength. This is what a lot of people try to do. A lot of people who are religious, a lot of people gone to church their whole life, they think, I can be good enough. And I'm telling you, no, you can't. But Jesus can be good enough. This is why we put our faith in Christ. This is what we call gospel preaching. The good news is that Jesus is good. The good news is if you put your faith in Jesus, you get his goodness. You get his righteousness. It's yours. You don't believe me? Read the book of Romans. It'll tell you all about it. Now, every generation must learn what I'm saying now. Every generation must learn this for themselves. In heaven, there will be no, no spiritual grandchildren. Everybody must have their own experience, their own relationship with Christ. You must personally know the Lord. You must personally put your faith in Christ. You can't write on your parents' or your grandparents' coattails, as it were. You need to personally say, Jesus, it's me. I, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. Please, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life. So having said that, it's important that every generation understands and knows what Christ says in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. I was doing some research just to figure out where people are at. And here's what the statistics say. 61% of all millennials consider themselves to be Christian, but only 2% of them yeah, that's right, 2%. I went back and looked at, double-checked it, triple-checked it, because I thought, surely this can't be right. 61% call themselves Christian, but only 2% have a Christian worldview. Are you shocked by that? I'm utterly shocked by that. You say, well, Pastor Alan, what is a Christian worldview? Well, I'll tell you in a second, but, but let me just tell you more, a few more statistics. Gen Z... That would be our new pastors, Pastor Joel and Pastor Andrew. They're gen, gen, Generation Z. Uh, they're slightly better than, than the millennials, but not much better. 4% only of Generation Z has a Christian worldview. Well, how do they compare to the rest of the, the adult population in general? And I wish I could tell you that it was a lot better, but folks, only 6% of those who call themselves Christians, actually have a Christian worldview. Okay, so what is a Christian worldview? Well, very simply, if you have a Christian worldview, then you believe in the absolute moral truth that is taught by the Word of God. Did you get that? The Word of God is the standard for, for life, and from that is what we call an, an absolute truth. So you can't have your truth, and I have my truth, and then your wife has her truth, and we all have our own truth. This is called chaos. Can you imagine the scientific community all coming up with their own statistics, their own, their own facts? Well, it's nonsense. There's, there's either truth or there's no truth. Christianity teaches that there is an absolute truth that does not come from humans. It comes from God. Now, if you have a worldview, a Christian worldview, there's six essentials, according to George Barna. First of all, the first thing is that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. 
Now, why is that so important? Because if Jesus was not sinless, then he could not take away your sin. You would have no righteousness. We would be absolutely hopeless. A lot of people call themselves Christians today. They don't believe or they don't understand that Jesus Christ was, in fact, sinless. He did not sin. The second thing that you need to understand, if you have a Christian worldview, is that God is all-powerful. We call that, sometimes we talk about the sovereignty of God here, that, that God reigns overall, that God is not in any way limited. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing. In theological terms, we talk about the omniscience of God, and we talk about the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God. This is the great God that we serve. And uh, he is the creator of the universe, and he still rules it today. If you have a Christian worldview, that's what you believe. Thirdly, you believe that salvation is, in fact, a gift from God, and you and I cannot earn this salvation. You can't, you're not going to stand before God someday and, and whip out your checklist and say, God, look how good I am. If anybody deserves to get into heaven, it's me. And Jesus is not going to look at your list. Rather, he's going to see, what did you do with my son, Jesus? What did you do with him? Did you put your faith in him? Did you trust in him? Did you trust in his righteousness? Those who call themselves Christians today, they don't seem to understand that you cannot earn your salvation. Fourthly, if you have a Christian worldview, you believe in that, that Satan is real and that he is the God of this world. I would love to be able to get into a sermon series that discuss these theological points. Maybe someday I will. But in the meantime, you need to be aware of this. The fifth thing that you are going to believe, if you have a Christian worldview, is that a Christian has a responsibility to share his or her faith. Now, you may remember last week I was sharing with you somebody who was posting on Twitter, and this person says, I am a Christian, but I believe that evangelism or proselytizing is a violence against humanity, even though Jesus clearly teaches us to go into the world and preach the gospel. If you have a Christian worldview today, then you have embraced the commands of Christ. You've embraced his instructions, and you say, yes, Lord, I will do as you tell me to do. And then finally, the sixth thing that you need to believe is that the Bible is the word of God. You need to believe that it is accurate and sufficient in all that it teaches. This is what it means to have a world Christian worldview. Now, in a moment, you're going to understand this better, and you're going to understand the importance of it better. But in the meantime, I want you to understand that if you are a Christian, if you have truly been converted, then your desire, your, your, the thing that drives you on is a hunger and a desire to know the Word of God, to know the teachings of Christ. This is what you want to know. In fact, I hope and I pray that that's why you came to church today, because you want to know, what does Jesus expect of me? What does God want from me? I will freely admit to you today that the teachings that we have gone through have, have been brutal. <laughs> 
And, you know, the last thing I want to do is, uh, is hurt anybody's feeling or upset anybody or make anybody feel uncomfortable. But we did say, according to Christ and his teaching, we did say that we are all murderers, we are all adulterers, we, are, we, we don't keep our vows, we, we, we divorce, and now I'm going to tell you today that we're all liars. Well, thanks a lot, Pastor. <laughs> Just what I was wanting to hear today. Look at it. If that were the end of the story, this would be a very pathetic gathering of people where you come to church and Pastor Allen beats you up every Sunday. That's not what we're doing here. What we want to do today is we want to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to glorify God today by, by teaching everybody in this church that all of us needs Christ. The notion that the ground at the foot of the cross is higher or lower, depending on how sinful you, is, is, is clearly wrong. Someone, some, one of the great preachers said that the ground at the foot of the cross is all level. When we stand before God someday, I will not be standing on a pedestal, no more than I'm standing on a pedestal now. All of us are equally in need of God's grace and forgiveness. There is nobody here today that can say, well, I'm better than you. I can't say that I'm better than you, but don't get uppity. You can't say you're better than me. All of us is equally in need of God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And every one of us is equally in need of God's help. This is why he sent all of us, not some of us, but all of us, his Holy Spirit. Because each and every one of us needs supernatural help to live the life that Christ has called us to live. Amen? That's why we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, the Bible says, richly. Wow. You have everything you need, the Bible says, to live a godly life. So, what do we need to know today? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ today is talking about oaths and vows, swearing. I swear that what I say is true. I swear to God. I swear what I'm saying is the truth. Jesus is addressing this very human problem of lying. In fact, one of the one of the Ten Commandments tells us clearly that we are not to bear false witness. We're not to lie. And yet, it has always been a problem with human beings. It's always been a problem. So here's what the Lord Jesus says. But uh, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. And I'm hoping today that I will be able to make clear some of the misunderstandings that people have often had. I'm reading to you from the New Living Translation, and Jesus says, You have also heard that our ancestors were told, You must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you made to the Lord. But I say, Do not make any vows. Do not say by heavens. I swear by heavens because heaven is God's throne. And do not say, I swear by earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, I swear by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is a city of the great king. 
Do not even say, I swear by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this comes from Satan. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So, let's unpack this. And so we read uh, in Matthew 5, to 34a, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Well, first of all, I just want to point out something to you. When Jesus says, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, this is not an actual verse from the Old Testament. In fact, it's an amalgamation. It's a combination of a number of verses from Leviticus, Leviticus 19, verse 12, Numbers 30, verse 2, Deuteronomy 23, 21 to 24, Exodus 20, verse 7. If you're taking notes, uh, you'll have to go to the podcast and listen to that again. (laughs) Now, why do we make vows? Why, why do people swear? I swear by heaven that what I'm saying is true to you. I swear by God, in God's name. And I'll tell you why everybody vows and swears oaths. It's because everybody knows that humans are liars. I didn't get one amen from that. I heard it right over there. Did you hear what I said? Every, everyone knows that humans lie. And that's the way it's always been. We cheat, we exaggerate. How many times have you heard people tell stories and it just, the fish gets bigger and bigger? I, I caught a fish, it must have been about this big. Well, no, maybe it was this big. Meanwhile, it was this big. We exaggerate, we misrepresent our income tax deductions. We make promises we have no intention of keeping. There, you know, there's some people that they, they're afraid to say no. And they'll say, oh, yes, 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 you can count on me, but they never show up. Why? Because they can't say no. We make excuses. We betray confidences. It's a matter of normal, everyday living. It's what humans do. And sadly, it's oftentimes what Christians do and people who call themselves the people of God. And Jesus is saying, this is a big problem. Can't do that. Well, folks, we know this about ourselves, and we often know it when others are lying to us, and we don't like it. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. The reason why lying is so wicked is, first of all, it comes from the father of lies. That's what Satan is called by Jesus Christ himself. When you are lying, when you are being deceptive, when you're not being absolutely truthful, You are imitating the God of this world, the father of lies and deception. It's very, very serious. And furthermore, when you are lying, what you are doing is you are failing to fulfill the law of God. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. When you lie to people, you are not loving them. You are, in fact, hurting them. This is not acceptable to God. This is absolutely against the will of God. 
And by the way, it's, it's very easy for us, isn't it, to become comfortable with white lies? How many were told when you were young, it's okay, it's okay to tell white lies? Can I just remind everybody, there is no such thing as a white lie. A lie is a lie. Did you get that? There's nothing in the scripture that says, you, don't you dare tell lies, but white lies are okay. There's nothing in there that says that. And when I hear people talk about half-truths, well, that's half-truth is not a truth. A half-truth, three-quarters of a truth, 99% truth is not 100% truth. It's a lie. Let's call it what it is. Can we do that? Can we agree to this? Let's be honest. Let's acknowledge what Christ commands of us. Because to truly love one another, we do not lie to one another. And we don't exaggerate. And we don't play the game of semantics. Semantics are word games. They're, they're, it's ways to get around the truth. It's ways to get your point across to promote yourself and your own agenda. So we, uh, we want people to swear. Are you telling the truth? Swear to God. Swear on your mother's grave. Swear on your kids, and on and on it goes. Why do we want people to swear? Because we don't trust people. We're thinking that if I can get them to swear that they're telling the truth, if they don't tell the truth, then God will get them with his lightning. And the fact is, is even though we swear to tell the truth, Jesus is calling us out, and he says, look, I just want you to stop the swearing, stop the oath-taking and the vows, and just simply stop. Well, we'll talk in a moment what we should do. But in the meantime, you need to understand this. This is not what we do. Now, some people have misunderstood this verse when it says, uh, do not take an oath. Um, the Quakers to this day will not, will not take an oath. They will not swear an oath. If they go to court, they will not put their hand in the Bible and, and swear to tell the truth. Uh, they'll say, I promise to tell the truth. Um, the Anabaptists, the Mennonites, for instance, they, they will not take an oath. And in fact, I just double-checked that to make sure that I got my facts straight. And yeah, it's, don't, they will not take an oath. Uh, this is what I would call a, uh, taking, taking that teaching to an extreme because the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus himself would swear by, by God that what he was saying is true. For instance, you may have read your Bible and you wonder, what does it mean, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto you? What Jesus is saying is what I'm saying is true. I swear that what I'm saying to you is the truth. In fact, we find that in, in a number of places John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. So there's Jesus himself swearing that what he's saying is the truth. God himself swears. And again, when I say swearing, I'm not saying he's, God's using profanity, right? You, under, you understand this. God's saying, I'm swearing by myself that what I say to you is the truth. And, and we see it, don't we? In Genesis chapter 9, after God sent the flood, he, ted, he, he told 
Noah and his family, I swear to you, I will never send another flood. And to prove that what I'm swearing to you is true, here's a rainbow. I swear to tell the truth. And Jesus, and Jesus, we find, is imitating his Father in heaven. God swears to send us a Redeemer in Luke chapter 1. And God swears to raise Christ from the dead. Read Psalm 16, verse 10, in Acts chapter 2. Yes, God swears by himself. Now, why does God swear? Why is Jesus saying, verily, verily, I say unto you? I'll tell you, it's not because Christ would lie or that God the Father would lie to us, but God understands, God knows that we human beings, by nature, we don't believe anything or anybody. We struggle with trusting God. We, we struggle believing God. And therefore, God says, look, I'm sw- because there's nobody else to swear by, I'm swearing by myself. What I say, I will do. The promises of God are sure and true. You need to be a people who keep your word. One of the things I remember Jesse saying to me is, Dad, I love promises. Because he, know, he knew that if I made a promise to him, that it was, I would be 100% dependable in keeping that promise. Even if I would forget it and he would remind me, I'd say, I said it, it's going to happen. This is what you and I need to understand about God. His promises, once he says it, it's 100% true, it's 100% believable, and God cannot break his promises. Some would say, hallelujah. Yeah, that's our God. And the Apostle Paul also swore by, by God's name. We, we find that in, his, in the epistles, don't we? In 1 Thessalonians and in Philippians. Paul, the Apostle, is swearing. In Romans, I, I swear to God, he's calling on God as his witness. Now, here's the problem. The Jewish rabbis, they were using semantics. They're playing with words to get around telling the truth. Let me give you an example of what I mean. In the 1990s, there was a popular uh, situation comedy on TV called Frasier. And in this one particular episode, Frasier's father, Martin, is telling his son, Niles, that he has made a vow to God. And he swears to God that he will never drink another bottle of Ballantine beer if God will answer his prayer. And Niles immediately says, but, but Dad, you drink Ballantine beer all the time. And Martin says, yeah, but not out of a bottle. I drink it out of a can. And then Martin looks at his son with a smug look on his face as though he's outwitted God. This is the semantics that Jesus is talking about. And this is the kind of games that we all play. And we think, well, I I stayed true to my word. But anybody looking on would say, no, Martin, you were not true to your word. You were playing a game, a game of semantics. You were not being truthful. Technically, Martin did keep his... His promise, he never had another bottle of beer, but that never stopped him from drinking cans of beer. 
Jesus would call this lying. What would you call it? This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about being a people who tell the truth. Jesus says, enough. No more vows. Let's stop this. No more swearing. And then the next verse, verses, Jesus says, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because that's the throne room of God, or by the earth, for it's a footstool, or by Jerusalem, it's the city of the great king, or by your own head. Because you didn't make your own head. God made your head. What, what Jesus is pointing out with all of your semantics and all your game playing, you're not swearing by God, but you swear by heaven, and therefore it's not as binding as swearing by God's name. Then that lets you off the hook. And Jesus is saying, whatever, whatever, you want to, whatever you want to swear by, it all turns out to be by God. Wow. In the Mishnah, the Jewish code of law, there's a whole section given to, to the question of oaths, including detailed considerations of when a vow is binding or not binding. For instance, one rabbi decided that if you swear by Jerusalem, I swear by Jerusalem, you're not bound by your vow. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, well, now, now you're bound by your vow. Do you see how ridiculous it got? We wanted to figure out a way how we can get around we can just swim around in life and, and not have to be bound by our vows or our promises. We, we want to figure out how we can be deceptive, although we would never call it that, but that's what it is. We want to figure out how we can get through life and we can have the advantage over others by being witty and smart and clever. You may think you're clever, and you may convince others that you're clever, but at the end of the day, God knows your heart and your mind. You may be able to fool others, but you cannot fool Christ. And Jesus says, if we're going to truly do this thing, if we're going to truly be the people of God, if we're going to truly follow Christ, then it means a radical change in the way that we treat people and the way that we communicate with people. Others may lie, but the children of God do not lie. We tell the truth. And we don't play, semantic, play semantics and, and, and word games. We're honest. We're truthful. So Jesus says, just tell the truth. Now, I told you a few weeks ago that what Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. If you look at somebody with lust in your heart, you're an adulterer, a fornicator. Jesus says, no divorce. And now Jesus is saying, don't lie. Don't be evasive. Don't, don't exaggerate. Jesus is essentially saying, look, at, this, is, this is another problem of humans. We're liars. We're liars by nature. And for this reason, we need to come under the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Are you courageous enough to confess that and admit that to God? At the end of the day, God knows what's going on. And at the end of the day, you and I are called to be a people who best reflect Christ. Folks, this is why we have to go through the Sermon on the Mount. We need to know 
the condition of our own heart. And we need to be prepared to confess to God, Lord, it's me. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh God. I'm the one that's falling short. So I say to you today, I don't, I don't really care what sin you've committed in the past. I don't really care what, what ways you've, you have, have failed God. What matters to me now is that you've put your faith in Christ and that Christ has washed your sins away. That's what matters to God. And his grace and his mercy is beyond anything that you and I could ever understand. His compassion is is beyond anything that anyone can measure. That does not give you a license to go and sin. No, there are consequences for sin. Understand that. There are consequences. And all of us here today have experienced those consequences. Just because you're a Christian, that doesn't mean that you can go sin and live like hell and not be scathed by the consequences of your sin. In fact, God will allow you to experience the consequences of your sin. Why? Because he loves you. Because God disciplines those whom he loves. So if you were discouraged by what I said to you last week about divorce, please don't be discouraged, but rejoice that you have a Savior who has forgiven you and has enabled you by his Spirit to live the life he's called you to live. God is not letting anybody off the hook. Everybody's Everybody, every sinner is being exposed and Jesus Christ is being glorified. That's what it means to be a Christian. God, you are at work in my life. But in the meantime, you and I need to live the life that Christ is calling us to live. Jesus in Matthew 15, verse 19 says, but the words you speak come from the heart. That is what defiles you. Can I remind everybody today of the importance of having your own daily personal walk with God? You need to be praying and reading your Bible every day. So what? So that your heart will be purified every day so that you will know the sanctifying power of Almighty God at work in your heart on a daily basis, so that when you speak, you will speak not words that defile you, but words that glorify the Lord. You see, this is what we do. Our default setting is to go to to the place of sin. And for that reason, every day, Jesus says, you must daily, you must daily, say daily, daily, Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus says, every day. Now, I'm going to just warn you that uh, it is so easy. It is so easy to lapse into our sinful default setting. It's so easy. This is why 
The writer of Proverbs, Proverbs 10, 19 says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Pastor, did you just tell me to shut up? Yeah, kind of. Proverbs 19, verse 9 says, a false witness, a liar will not go unpunished, and a liar will be destroyed. John MacArthur, he says, after going through this passage of Scripture, you know what he says? He says, we're all liars too. We're murderers, we're adulterers, we don't keep our vows, and we're liars on top of that. But thanks be to God, he's given us a Savior. And when we take upon ourselves his righteousness, when we embrace his righteousness, and we too are righteous, not in our own strength, in our own wisdom or ability, but in the, in the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus ends this by saying, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Keep your mouth shut. Don't talk too much because where there's too much an excess of talking, there's sin. Corey Temboom, let me just close with a story. Corey Temboom, as some of you may know, is one of my heroes. A wonderful Dutch godly lady uh, who, who's passed away now. But during the Second World War, she and her family were hiding Jews from the Nazis. You know that the Nazis were moving throughout Europe and rounding up Jewish people and sending them to their death. Well, this family, this godly Christian family, says we cannot allow God's people, God's chosen ones, to be put to death. And so Cory Tembum and her family were people that truly had a Christian worldview. The word of God was important to them. The word of God determined how they lived their lives. They believed what Jesus says in Revelation 21.8. This is what Jesus says. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, we talked about that, the murderers, we talked about that, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Our generation now, this generation is too sophisticated for this, and they say, we're going to now create a Christianity in our own image and what we think is acceptable. Folks, if you expect that Pastor Alan Duncalf is going to take this new route where I'm going to start adjusting Scripture to make everybody happy, it's never going to happen. And if you want that, then you have to get yourself a new pastor. I believe the Word of God is sufficient and gives us everything we need to live a godly life. This is who we are. This is what we believe. Well, lo and behold... Corey Tamboom and her family had a Christian world view that believed all of this. I just got to say one more thing. Because we know that we're living in very difficult times, and I got people who are challenging me that want me to preach another gospel, a social gospel. 
By the way, this is nothing new. This, is, this goes back now at least 100, maybe 200 years. This, this notion, this idea that we can change our society. Listen, the only way society changes is if people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. I just want to put that out there. That's what people need. They need to surrender to Christ and be born again. That's it. Okay, that was just a little, that was no charge for that. Corey Tamboom and her family, they believe what they read. They believe Jesus Christ. They get, an, they get to, the door goes flying open and Corey Tamboom is visiting with her sister, Nolly. And Nolly's two sons come storming through the door. Hide, quick, we gotta hide. The Nazis are coming. They're gonna be at our, they're two doors down, they're gonna be at our house in just a minute. What should we do? Where should we go? Where should we hide? And the reason these boys are, they're not Jewish, they're Dutch, but the reason they need to hide is because the Nazis wanted to take them away and use them for forced labor. They were called, it was the, the Razi, the Razi gang. These are the ones, the Jewish young men that would be used by the Nazis to carry out menial tasks. And Nolly remembers that we've, we've got a, a trap door here. She quickly pulls a table over. She, she opens a trap door. The two boys jump in breathlessly. They close the door. Nolly puts a, a mat over the, the trap door, puts the table on top of the mat door. They quickly, they set the table with the tablecloth and the place settings of fine china, glasses, napkins, and, and salt and pepper shakers, and food, and cutlery. And the Nazis, just in the nick of time, they got that done. The Nazis stormed through the front door. No niceties, no knocking on the door. And they say, where are your boys? You can hear crickets. Nobody's saying a word. The Nazis are clever. They know that if they want the truth, ask a child. And suddenly, Corey Tamboom and her sister Nolly look at their daughter, Koki. Koki has a Christian worldview. Koki has been taught never to lie, to always tell the truth. And Corey Tamboom her heart's thumping, and she's saying, oh, God, help Koki to lie this one time. God, don't let her tell the truth. The Nazis take Koki by the chin, look her in the eye, where are your brothers? Well, sir, they're under the table. The Nazis quickly whip up the tablecloth, and lo and behold, there's nothing under the table. The Nazis scream, yell profanities, and they leave the home. And the boys are safe, even though Koki told the truth. I don't know what I would have done in her place. I wish I could tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would have told the truth. I'm not sure. I think I would have been with Corey Tamboom thinking, well, this would be the time that a lie would work. God honored Koki, honored her commitment to following Jesus Christ. 
Folks, I'm not telling you it's always going to work out the way you'd like it to work out, but I can tell you this. My God is sovereign. And God's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven as God's people surrender to his will and purpose. Would you say amen to that? Well, then stand with me, please. Father, we need your grace. We need your strength. We need your power at work in us that we may be utterly honest, reflecting our Savior, Jesus Christ, who never once lied, who never once failed to tell the truth. God, we pray today that we would indeed be a people empowered by the Holy Spirit. We would be a people who honor your name. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go tell the truth.